0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Grant Williams Podcast. Uh, This edition of the podcast is going to be a little different, Uh, and today I'm crossing the streams a little bit here because my guest is my dear friend Roger Mitchell, the co-founder of Albachiara, who over his career has worked at the top levels of both the sport and the music industries during his time at both Virgin Music and as the former chief executive of the Scottish Premier League. And yes, hard as it may be for some of you to fathom, the SPL is, according to Roger at least, counted as the top level of sport. For the past several years, Roger and I have been co-hosting a series of podcasts called Are You Not Entertained," which have focused, among other things, on the nexus of sport and finance. Over the course of that journey, Roger has been the Virgil to my Dante. He's guided me through what, is an ever-changing sporting landscape as huge amounts of investment dollars have found their way into sporting clubs, into leagues and franchises, really changing sport forever. Now, along the way, many of the men and women who are who are dragging sport, are kicking and screaming in many cases, into well, the present, let alone the future, have graced our humble little podcast and they've explained the motivation and the vision behind their interest in different sports. Now with the abject and it has to be said completely embarrassing failure of the European Super League last week, it felt to me like a really good time to to share Roger's remarkable insight into the worlds of sport and finance and to have him explain where sport stands now, uh, where it's headed and uh, where the opportunities lie. And boy did he do a good job. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my mate Roger Mitchell. Oh, Roger, hi mate. It's good to good to talk to you even if it's in a different slightly different environment. Yeah, yeah, thanks Grant. Um
1: thank you for inviting me into your home. It's um it's it's uh, it's a great thing. I'm I'm really 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 pleased to be here.
0: Well, look, there's 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 plenty to talk about and you and I uh, have been talking about this stuff together for for years now. And um you know, a, a lot of what you've been saying over these past three years of are oh, you not entertained has has come to pass, and and none more so than the kind of arms race from private equity, which which you've been talking about for a long time now. And given what happened with the Super League last week, and the conversations you and I have had between then and now, I was I was really keen to get you to come and talk about this because it's you know it was interesting to see the commentary on the Super League in the financial community. You know people. Kind of a little bit new to the whole idea, and and really understandably, I guess, not really been paying attention. So, um, what what I'd kind of love for you to do at first is to is to perhaps lay out a roadmap for this and and, and begin, I guess, with your time at, at the top administrative levels of the game back in in Scotland in the nineties. So if you could, if you take us back there, to the landscape as it was, how you saw this really first start to come up on the radar screen and then kind of the way it played out from there back in back in the 90s
1: Sure, sure grant uh, I joined um, the Scottish Premier League which was in a breakaway league in 1998 in the summer of 1998 the Scottish Premier League was a cut and paste really of the English Premiership that had been formed six years earlier. And those were um, leagues that were to be professionalised, to be slightly different from the way sport, and in this case we're talking football, soccer, um, to, to bring it more into the modern world. And they weren't completely breakaways in that there was still, and we'll come on to this, it's really the fuel rouge of, of, all, of all of this, uh, promotion and relegation to the, the leagues that they broke away from. Uh, they broke away in a kind of like dowry type uh, mechanism where they they paid as uh, solidarity payments down the way, so they they had a an idea of wanting to remain in the in the football family, but deal with their business and their commercialization of the sport in a different way. And in nineteen ninety, I remember very well, almost my first week in the job, there was one of these UEFA, who's the governing body. UEFA I do is called the Super Cup in Monte Carlo and I already saw all of the big clubs kind of like huddling around together there was an organization at the time called Media Partners which was a kind of like investment bank and they they were clearly already thinking about how the world had kind of like the train had left the station and that the polarization of the big clubs from the rest of sport was going to continue that that would be I remember very clearly Grant coming back to Scotland and saying we are not in this club, we are a small league and if we don't do something we're going to be at the margins of of this sport going forward. I came back to um, my league and I said look we need to try and amalgamate with other leagues. That project was called the Atlantic League and it involved us and other small leagues like Portugal, Holland, Belgium, Greece, Turkey, Scandinavia. I think that project was was the correct one. Then UEFA stopped that because they they and it's part part of their governance they don't like cross border leagues because their the, their whole strength comes from geographical borders. We'll probably get back into that. And then later on, I tried to get uh, the Scottish football into a British league and amalgamate all, all the leagues in Britain uh, because today there's uh, an Irish league, a Scottish league, uh, and obviously an English league. So I saw in 1998 the train leave the station, and it was very clear to me the path that it was going on. It was going to, it was going to polarise, but, but between what I call Hollywood clubs. Uh, and and what I've t- like to, to to refer to now is is art house, and I make that analogy with the movie business. Um, if you look at if you look at Hollywood now, it's really dominated by Marvel franchise type output, uh, and the kind of like art house films are, are are if you listen to Scorsese, not not really considered anymore. I saw sport starting that that journey in nineteen ninety eight. Grant,
0: so, so look, Roger, um, obviously that was really. It wasn't the beginning because the, the kind of money, particularly in the, in, in the UK, started coming in, in the early 90s when, when yeah. Sky came into the business. Talk, just tell us a little bit about how, how football was before the Sky deal and why that Sky deal was so important and how that money changed football and how that set this whole chain of events in motion.
1: Well, we need to go back and remember that in the 80s, English football was in a bad way. It had yeah, had absolutely. a couple of couple of dreadful incidents at stadia where people had died in fires or in crushing. And then there was Heisel. There was a whole lot of hooliganism. Uh, the, the, the sport had really lost its way. English football had been banned from European competition. So the senior clubs, together with um, Rupert Murdoch, decided that they, they could do it in a different way. Rupert Murdoch's News International w- would finance this, what, breakaway league, but I put that in inverted commas, as we'll as we'll hear later on, there was a difference with what happened last week, and there was a really a, a, a virtuous circle that was created. We we will invest in the game. Uh, you will bring in much better players from all over Europe and the world. The product will be will get better. It'll become more popular, and the virtuous circle starts. I I would have to say that in the main that was hugely successful, and as I said, we we copied that six years later, but. What that did was it changed the mindset of the governance of of football in this case, because in the past, football and indeed all of sport in Europe, in the UK, had been run from where it came from, from its uh, Corinthian amateur roots, run like um, a local golf club, a members association, one man, one vote really around rules and regulations and administration. Uh, and, and there was not really an awful lot of money in the game. That the, 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 the commercial role had not in any way been exploited. So you had really, really important community businesses, rugby clubs, football clubs, that were smaller in business terms than the local uh, supermarket. And when Rupert Murdoch came in, he changed all of that grant.
0: There's, there's a there's a, um, a kind of feeling that UK sport, particularly uh, compared to American sport, was very very amateur in nature. You know, the the, the US sports always seem to have been professional, uh, and I mean that in the kind of true sense of the word. Everything about them was professional, and they were huge uh, marketing machines. Football was a little slow to kind of catch up with that in the UK and really across Europe, despite really fervent fan bases. I I would argue. Having grown up with with European football and and spent a lot of time in the US going to going to sporting events over there, that the fan bases for European soccer are are way more vociferous, mate, way more committed, um, way more passionate, perhaps than the many American um, fan bases for for franchise teams over there. So, so how did that? How did that? How did the the real money start to come into football? Because yes, the TV deal is is a big deal, but then we get into the era of the oligarch, the kind of trophy club, and we start to get some real money coming in to particularly English football. What was it that drove that, and and how has that kind of developed along the way? Hmm.
1: Uh, you're right Grant I I would say your first point I would repeat what I said before it's really the key to everything American sport was born as a business whether you say that was Mark McCormick and IMG and Arnold Palmer but there was never any doubt American sport has got a cultural setup completely different to ours just think that that the idea that you can move franchises from city to city it's unthinkable for us yeah Um, right It's just unthinkable, you know, instead, you know, people should really understand this, that Britain is built on a class system and, and, you know, sport reflected that. If you had, you know, certain sports that were middle class, like rugby, like cricket, tennis, soccer, football was uh, the working man's game. And it grew up in, in the north of Great Britain and Scotland in the north of England uh, around industrial towns of mining and steel and were very much what I would call the escape of the working man and hence culturally very, very attached to that local community. And they still do have that way of thinking. Think about rugby. It didn't become professional until the last generation, 1995. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the the cultural gap between America and European sport is always, always underestimated. So the second part of your question, up until the 90s, sport was able to be financed by that local business person. They had been normally a person made good. They had then invested in, in, in this case, the, the local football club, and they had looked after it. It was never... Ever a profitable business grant, it was almost a giving back type uh, attitude of, you know, the the the, the local steel magnet who obviously, uh, you know, wanted to get the football club because that was the centre of attention, the centre of fame. Yeah, uh, it, it made you a little bit even more the feudal king of of, of that community. And, you know, that that continued Then, then at the same time as Murdoch became very, very important uh, in the English speaking world in the European world, there was another magnet called Silvio Berlusconi, who went on to become prime minister of Italy, but started as a media mogul who just, you know, genius in terms of his entrepreneurial skill. He he saw the importance of of football uh, as part of uh, television content, uh, and he started building up a, a television network. And the money started to get bigger, but in 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 the '90s, it still was very much controlled by somebody. Yeah, a bigger entrepreneur than than before, but still somebody that you could call a patriarch. I'm thinking of Berlusconi, I'm thinking of Pirelli at Inter Milan. Yeah. Uh, uh, Juventus, with uh, as you say, with with uh, and etc. Yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera then uh, as you say uh, something new happened you got new money coming in you got um, first of all oligarch money from a post uh, glasnost um, soviet union the most obvious example is abramovich at chelsea that turned a relatively soft and underperforming club at chelsea into probably the most competitive club in europe and then the, the next phase of that was uh, the sovereign wealth, people coming in um, initially Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. So it's just become a bigger table stakes, if you will, Grant. It's no longer financeable by the, the local self-made business person. They just can't compete with uh, oligarchs and, and, and sovereign sovereign wealth. So the last phase of this, which I would say is maybe the last 8 8 years has been um, the arrival of the Americans both uh, in the in the in the shape of american sports owners like cronkie like um, the glazers like singer uh, um, ac milan and um, the arrival of uh, american culture private equity and venture capital that's where we are today grant and it's a, it's an exciting chaos
0: yeah, it's 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 it, yeah, it's funny. I, I remember a story a friend of mine uh, told me he'd had lunch with Sam Zell at some point, and Sam Zell had, had bought the Chicago Tribune at the time, and, he, and he, he basically asked him, "You know, I didn't realize you were a baseball fan." And, and Sam Zell said, well, you know, "I'm not. I hate baseball." He said, well, "But you're the owner of the Cubs now." And he said, "He had no idea. You know, he bought this. <laughs> he bought the Cubs franchise along with the Chicago Tribune, and didn't even know yeah, It was it. Was an, it was an afterthought. It's changed his. But look, uh, you know this this." The the thing that I I, I always struggle with with the, particularly with with football, which which I, I feel like I know better, um, soccer. And I guess it comes back to yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns here, Roger. <laughs> I, I guess it comes back to this idea where you talked about the U.S. sport being born as a business. You, I understand the attraction of of franchises in the U.S. I understand the value of the Yankees. I understand the value of. You know, not. I understand the value of the Mets, even though it's considerably lower. But um, I always wondered about football clubs. Uh, they they seemed like vanity projects to me. They seemed like basket cases. And and because of, I guess, because of this promotion relegation um, uh, environment, which we'll we'll definitely come on to a little bit later. Um, I, I, I struggle to understand the value proposition for all but the top. Clubs, the Manchester Uniteds, the Real Madrids of the world. So, why is it that 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 capital seems to to love sport as an asset class, particularly in the last, as you say, the last sort of eight to ten years?
1: That's a great question. Uh, if you allow me, I'll I'll I'll, I'll answer it uh, fully if I can. The first, the, f- the first thing I would say is that sport is polarizing and unbundling and unbundling is the word I think is is key to all of this. I was involved in the music business in the early 90s and in our generation, Grant, we bought albums, we bought LPs and LP is the, is the definitive bundled product with a couple of hits and, and maybe eight tracks of filler. And Spotify unbundled that, Napster unbundled that, and you know, I guess now you see what happens after it, and and whether Spotify is your your example of choice. When you get um, business models that are changing and, and unbundling, uh, opportunities happen. Um, wh- why is that happening just now? It's happening because you know to again to put it in um venture capital terms and i think we need to do that in a lot of this conversation uh, i would suggest that sport uh, in europe no longer has what what i would call product market fit it sells a product a league that has hits and fillers it has man united and it has west bromwich albion and the segmented audience doesn't want want to watch Games between the two of them, it's really an audience that wants to watch the big teams and a much more local community audience that's interested in its local team, West Bromwich Albion. So you have got the strains of the market uh, ripping apart a sports bundle the way it has in, in the music business and, as I alluded to earlier, the way Hollywood and the movie business is going to. Now it's all dominated by big franchise movies based around Marvel and DC Comics. At the same time, you've got tech that is um, allowing a completely um, different delivery mechanism, uh, direct-to-consumer, (OTT), whatever you want to call it. And that leads you to the idea that you can create what they call an owned and operated media hub. And of course, once you start talking about that, you're talking about uh, being a media company, being a content company. Finance likes the fact that the, the model is changing, that uh, in the past sport, Grant, you know, this sport has been very risk averse. It's basically said to everybody, put down a big check up front. I don't want to take any risk. Uh, give me a minimum guarantee on license deals, on merchandising, on whatever. Uh, give me a big check and get lost until the next time. That that's how sports really operated. But he, here's here's a couple of kickers that, that 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 make, as I say this, an absolutely bouncing off the walls moment for the sports industry. Sport is getting old, Grant. You know, if you look at the stats on all the sports, even the American sports, and the average age. They're between fifty and sixty, you know. And you're talking uh, fans here. You're talking the average fan, fans. Right? Fa- yeah. yeah, the average fan. And uh, now you can split it into uh, somebody that watches at home or somebody that watches at the stadium. But you know, if, if people say baseball is near sixty years old as an average fan, that's probably true at home and at the stadium. And that that means that you know it needs to change and it needs to get into strategic marketing. It needs to get into segmented audiences. It needs to find a new funnel for for a younger fan that wants different things. Again, it's not just, you know, the hits and the filler in terms of the product. There, there are younger fans that have got a completely different requirement set for, for their content than the, the way that we did. You know, it's not just long form or short form. It's completely different. I, I, and the last thing I would say is that, um, let's be very honest, um, in Europe, sport is is insolvent, or at very best, illiquid. You know, I, I I probably I think it probably is more insolvent than a liquid. It's asset rich, cash cash poor, and and the reason for that, where we have not had the discipline, and the, the low volatility of American sport is that we cannot control all of our money going out to the playing talent. You know, Sir Sir, Sir Alan Sugar, he of Tottenham Hotspur and Amstrad, and 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 ultimately of. Um, um, what do you call that, the apprentice? The apprentice, yeah. Yeah, he um, he, he used the term "prinjus effect, and I'm sorry if people are listening to this early in the morning, but, you know, that's very, very graphically correct. Whatever you take in the top comes out the bottom. And, you know, that's how sports relationship in Europe is with playing talent. Uh, we've seen enormous growth in top line in the last 30 years, really, truly enormous. It's all just gone to players and agents. Uh, And and, and all of these reasons, a little bit, are why finance likes it and why sports needs finance. You know, it's a meeting of a marriage of inconvenience. Sport in Europe can't understand how finance thinks. Uh, Finance sees an industry going topsy-turvy with enormous opportunity and wants a part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and, and this is you know, this is I can kind of, I guess where you and I came in several years ago and you and you've been explaining this to me and I haven't wanted to listen to it because I I, I guess as you always criticize me for being an old romantic, and you're absolutely right. Um <laughs> you know, it look, it, it it's and it's it's become clear clearer by the month almost that the, the, the changes that need to happen to sport in Europe to for it to be able to be sustainable, frankly are of the kind that we saw proposed this this past year uh, this past week so but before we before we get into that um let, let, let's talk about that change you you touched on there in terms of the way that fans want to want to consume their content because my contention all through this dialogue that you and I have had going for so long now has been that the two are incompatible that was certainly my starting position is that You have a a younger generation who are vital for the sustainability of the sport who want to consume it in ways that are not compatible with the traditions and the structures of the game as it exists. And if you change those structures to suit what is by its very nature in the modern day a very transitory audience, are you risking ruining the game forever because you put it to a place where it's once once this group of people move on because something else shiny's come along that they're interested in is, is even shorter form content. You've lost the appeal of the game now. I, I, you, you've you've caused me to shift that stance considerably, <laughs> but 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 just talk me through that because it, it does seem to be a potential sticking point.
1: I, I think that is, uh, if uh, pun intended, the whole ball game whether sport should adapt quite radically to attract a younger audience that is very clear on what it wants your, your contention is that that would be a mistake because they are transient and by the time you've moved your like that, was, co- that
0: was that was my contention
1: <laughs> yeah and listen i don't think that argument is one and anybody that says it needs to be one thing or the other is is not nuanced enough i mean uh, listen it is it, clear the direction of travel here there's two or three elements Younger people are fundamentally different, Grant. You know, I think anybody that grew up with Steve Jobs' device, the the smartphone in their hand, lives through that and lives through a smaller screen and what that smaller screen gives you. And, and what it gives you is a shorter form of content, probably more in video rather than uh, written form. And uh, it needs to be punchier. It needs to be more interactive, and, and sport has been a, a one-way lean-back experience, whereas now these people want a lean-in, two-way experience. And, and you know, what, what does it mean specifically? What are we seeing here? We're seeing a growth in gamification. We're seeing a growth in fantasy. Obviously, now, especially in America, we've had this for a long time, but you're seeing a growth in, in fantasy developed into actual betting and gambling. Uh, you're seeing uh, a growth in influencer culture. You know, when we grew up, really, you know, teams and franchises were very important and players came and go, yes, they were heroes but, you know, they were never bigger than the club that was always the phrase, wasn't it? Nobody's bigger than the club. Well, that's probably up for debate just now you know, again, you can you can see the examples all around it. We did say this would happen, didn't we, you know when when the, the, the YouTube YouTuber boxing started we said that this would happen and now last week you had Jake Paul on a, a, an interesting new network called Triller getting 1.3 million uh, pay-per-views for a fight against a mixed martial arts guy who looked significantly overweight and disinterested. Still worked, worked huge before, uh, worked well. For the minute that it lasted, Snoop Dogg did his thing. Uh, The memes were created on the back of that. And afterwards, you know, there was all the post-match trash-talking. Similar organisations like uh, Overtime, start with this kind of like, um, not even rights-based content, it's more user-generated content that the, the, the kids like, they like to share, uh, TikTok has shown as that. Overtime is now so important for the sports industry that's even thinking of setting up a a, a rival uh, for college basketball league uh, that's that, that got a model that maybe takes out the whole college system and, and ergo the whole um, draft system. We live in an, an, an influencer culture. Uh, Grant, you know again, let's look at more business types things. There's a fashion uh, influencer in Italy and, and now Global called Chiara Ferragni. really I, I just uh, I, a little girl that five years ago started a, a blog about fashion. She's now, I would say the biggest influence in the whole of the, the fashion industry. Uh, she joins the board of Todds. Todds is one of the big uh, fashion companies based here in Italy and uh, it's listed. And it went uh, from 900 million market cap to 1.2 billion uh, on that announcement. You know, 250 million Delta added value, thanks to to Chiara. Remember, a young girl. This isn't, you know, uh, the the signs there are all around, you know, and and let's let's get into the next thing of that now, uh, which is that wonderful word that we need to embrace. It's It's the metaverse. You know, most people listen to this, I would suggest, don't know what the metaverse is. You know, I, I, I actually wanted to be precise when, when describing it. You know, so I'm taking this off uh, one, of the, one of the descriptors. The metaverse is a convergence of our physical and digital lives that has been brought on by advancements in Internet connectivity, AR, VR and blockchain. Basically, the metaverse is <laughs> that famous phrase, a parallel universe. Yeah. It's digital and virtual and it's a parallel universe where none of the asset values have yet been claimed. Can you imagine? Think of it a little bit like, you know, the, the new world and, um, you know, the, the United States when the pilgrims arrived. That's a little bit like how people should think about the metaverse. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that for younger kids, they are spending a huge amount of their time and disposable income on digital props virtual goods and nfts non non fungible tokens you know you can even buy a virtual racehorse now grant and you can you can breed it you can train it you can you can play for prizes that are in the virtual world so you know that is the leisure time and the 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 the, the entertainment of choice of a new generation so sport's task is to say do we go for them and believe that this is a a, 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 a direction that is never going to change? Uh, or do we say, look, it will just pass by and uh, we should just, you know, stick to to our um, 18, 18 holes of golf, four rounds, that's the way golf should be. We're never going to change it. And, and, you know, I was thinking on this, we've talked about this a lot, and I was thinking, again, I'm from the music industry, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, the crooners and the, and the jazz musicians in the 50s and early 60s, when they saw Elvis, they, they probably said all the things that you're hearing <laughs> about sport today. Yeah. You know, oh, it's transient. Look at that. Nobody's ever going to go for that. They'll be back to Frank Frank Sinatra in a minute and, you know, um, Dizzy Gillespie and everything like that. You never heard from them again, Grant. So that's the dilemma for sport. Do I change or do I not? And if I don't change, I'm getting older and older and older.
0: Well look, we'll 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 definitely come back to some of that metaverse stuff a bit later on because I think that's that's the big debate for the future. But l- let's talk about the big debate for the present which is which is the super league and and I think you you basically put the whole thing in a nutshell a little while ago when you talked about the opportunities that capital sees in in sport based on those huge top lines. Um and they do see it will be, if you strip the fans out of this, this is a really simple business to turn around, right? You can you can turn this stuff around really, really easily and make a fortune by by instituting some changes without the fans. And we saw this past week how powerful the fans were in this. So, so just lay out exactly what the game plan is for the money that wants to come in to the sport, how they need to turn it around, what they need to do, and how that fan power is currently stopping them and whether it will continue to stop them or whether this is a, a fait accompli at this point?
1: <laughs> That's a huge question.
0: No, I know, <laughs> I know, but like, luckily we've got time and I, and I know you've got the
1: answers. Right, okay, so let's break it down. Listen, uh, why does big finance like sport? um f- let, let, let me start by saying it always has sniffed around a little bit because whenever you've got an asset rich, cash poor industry, Finance will will find a way to bridge that and take a nice little coupon off you, you know. And they've done that with um, receivable financing, with transfer fee advancement, everything like that. Uh, by the way, in Europe we have transfer fees for playing talent. In America they don't. Uh, that's it's a big big difference as well. But but like, like, what I would say is that it just fits the PE playbook so beautifully, Grant. You know, if you think of a PE playbook, what do you do? You put a, a fair bit of leverage on. Uh, and then you go for operational efficiencies yeah you know and 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 you know what are the operational efficiencies? Uh, for the reason I said to you before, European sport has never been considered a commercial business and the Americans do that really really well. Yes, they so do. there is huge upsides on better commercial operations. Second one is even bigger normally it isn't in a pe pl- uh, turnaround but here it is cost control. You know, if you can get proper cost control and eliminate the prune juice effect, uh, the obvious uh, thing to do there is just put in a salary cap, and, and, and American sport does that beautifully, then you have uh, changed the profitability and the marginality profile of these sports um, organisations overnight. Uh, the third one is better governance. You know, PE usually comes in and changes the board of directors and changes the C-suite. Sports governance in Europe is is a shambles. We can come on to that separately, but basically, let me just leave you with one thing here. You know, any governance, any constitution really should have wonderful separation between the legislative, the executive and the judiciary. Our governing bodies in sport do all three of those things under one body. UEFA, FIFA, the leagues, you know, so in terms of looking at it as a PE turnaround, it's just beautiful. It's just it doesn't get any better than that. Then there's a couple of other reasons why they want to get into it. Um, they they look at an arbitrage opportunity compared to American franchise value and and, and European franchise value. It should it should uh, re-rate in some point. And why should it re-rate? Let me give you another reason why it should re-rate if you look at the way silicon valley and the entertainment and the media industry value companies today whether that's tiktok or whether it's pinterest pin they've got some kind of multiple on users uh, and the number is a big number if you took that multiple let's call it $50 a user just to, just to say and you apply that to the stated fan base number of Unman united it's a billion you get 50 billion right What's Man United valued at today? Three. Mm-hmm. The Americans and the big financiers can't understand that. They say, we've got the users. They are more loyal loyal than anybody that's using TikTok or Pinterest or any other one like that will be. And yet um, the multiple is a tenth of what it is in those valuation stakes. And they say back up the truck don't they they say back up the truck you know and 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 you know they 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 they're really interested in all the disruption that's going to give a huge amount of opportunities they say find me the next spotify in sport uh, you've got all the venture boys that are in earlier stage that, that look at all these community businesses and sport is the definitive de facto community business you throw in the the, the big data play and ai and all the things that are going to happen there and, and, and you know, you you really, as you said earlier, you say, look, I'm going to invest in something that's got all these potential upsides, but it's got another kicker. What's that phrase? If you're in the gold rush, the best business to be in is in picks, the- and, shovels. Yeah. picks and shovels. Well, you're in the streaming wars today. that That's the whole ball game right? So I'm going to be an arms, deamer, arms dealer to the streaming wars. You know, and, and, and you know, WWE, which I think is a wonderful example of sport. I know you don't consider it sport, but sport and entertainment is, and maybe those words aren't um, different anymore. You know, they are driving a whole strategy at Peacock, which is, you know, one of the streamers for the Universal NBC um, organization. So, you know, they they see this in spades, but what is it that they saw last week, Grant, that, I don't understand why they undervalued this, but they they didn't see it. Yeah. Volatility, finance hates volatility. They hate vol. They like to see it low. Um there's 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 um there's two things that that that, that generate volatility in European sport. One is, as you said, the fan irrationality. You know, fans in our side of the pond are not rational animals. They, they just aren't, and they can turn in the space of six weeks uh, on their own people, hero to zero, uh, really, really quickly. They're fickle. They they sometimes are considered here in Europe as beautiful romantics and the soul of the game and uh, the custodians of the club, and, and, and really the owner is just part-time financier, but the fans own the clubs. The, these are people who... I consider are not trustworthy in terms of of how they think. You know, they go from you know uh, dewy eyed uh, videos of of a, a father taking a son to the game for the first time to you know vile social media abuse to all and sundry, such that you know there's going to be a week of 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 bans from all organisations on social media. You know, so the, the the fan beast has been un- misunderstood completely by the Americans. And, and you know, the thing that, 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 that makes that even worse is that fans exacerbate the, the main, main issue here, which is promotion and relegation. Once you've got promotion and relegation, which means your business models can change one with uh, seven uh, digits to six digits overnight, that's volatility that's through the roof. And, you know, finance can't handle that and you know that's why I probably failed last week obviously apart from a dreadful PR and execution and not reading the room and not winning over hearts and minds they they just haven't worked out that the culture in in European football needs to be spoken to you can't just take them for granted it's they, they are what I said they're, they're irrational and they need to be presented with a case that makes sense i think there was a very strong case but it wasn't presented grant
0: well well yeah look we've we've talked about this dur- during the past couple of weeks as well and and i'd love for you to lay that out because when when you talk about how this could have been done properly and successfully um bearing in mind it was it was the biggest and most embarrassing shambolic climb down i've seen yes. at that level of any kind of business, let alone finance, in in my entire life, the 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 gap between that and a successful, uh, successful outcome for the guys who were trying to pull this off, when you explained it to me, was frighteningly simple. So to so just just walk us through that, how how it could have been done better, and how it might have been a success.
1: Listen, any time you're you're pitching uh, in business or or an investment, you you really need to start with problem solution. Uh, If you don't set out the reason somebody should listen to you, you're not going to get more than 60 seconds. So you need to set out the problem. And, 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 you know, (laughs) Billy Bean, Brad Pitt and, and, and Moneyball, you know, he says it five times. No, what's the problem? No, what's the problem? You know, so let's start with what's the problem. That's where I would have started, and, and, and I like to put that in question form when I'm doing my pitches. Do you think the current system works for European football? And the answer is patently no. It's already financially doped, where it's massively skewed to big clubs with unlimited wealth from the people we mentioned before, the oligarchs, the the, the sovereign wealth people, everything like that. It's, it's already massively skewed such that they win everything and they bankrupt everybody else trying to compete. It doesn't work in the way that the romantic fan was was complaining about last week, that's the first thing the status quo is rubbish, you know, that's, that's the first thing you need to start with the second one is, again in question form, are you comfortable that um, our sport that really is represented by middle aged white guys getting older and older and older is dealing fast enough with the younger generations, do we have the right plan, thirdly Do we like the prune juice effect? Do do we think we could do it better? UEFA has never managed to put in a salary cap. They tried, and the big clubs, in this case specifically Man City and Paris Saint-Germain, which is owned by Qatar, they walked all over it, you know? You say that we're going to break away and that we're going to leave the rest of the football, you know, like like, uh, paupers on the street... Well, no. Did you not notice page two of our document that talked extensively about the solidarity payments down to the the, the pyramid of football and the grassroots that we mentioned? You know, they didn't do that well either. So they... they didn't start where they should have started, which is the current system is broken. Everybody's bust. It's all polarised. and uh, Nobody's interested in the same teams work, uh, uh, winning all the time. Look how interesting a sport is when there's uncertainty of result. They had a whole uh, uh, vision of where they could attack that PR. But no, they put up an old Spanish guy uh, who uh, from Real Madrid called Fiorentino Perez, they put up an industrialist uh, from Juventus, uh, Andrea Agnelli, and nobody else spoke. And all they talked about is we need to do this because otherwise football dies. They just—it's almost criminal negligence. Grant, I, I do believe that there is a need to massively reorganise the way sport and football in Europe is 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 set up, and these guys blew it.
0: You know, there's this as this has evolved, Roger. Not not just this story in the last week, but we've seen talk about this before. And and I, I haven't liked it, but I've kind of admitted that it was inevitable at some point. This is going to have to happen. And, and as you say, the genie's out the bottle now, and there's there's really no way of going back. It's it's this is going to, this idea is going to chip away at at football until it finds that opening. And it may, as a, as I said, it may just be asking those right questions as, as you just did there that that frames it in a different way that makes it. Almost impossible to argue. But that, that suggests that there, there is tremendous investment opportunity in sport at this point, um, even if it's just things like you know, the listed football clubs, your Manchester United's of the world, which, uh, to your earlier point, must be trading at fractions of what they're worth should, should this plan even gain any kind of traction.
1: That's right. Uh, Massive opportunity for re-rating. Massive opportunity in in things like challenger leagues. You know, uh, again, as sport uh, has always been relatively uh, inflexible to change and not very visionary and, you know, manage the status quo, manage the rules and regulations of the administration. You know, certain people uh, with vision and understand the future, they're not going to wait. Uh, to change that, they'll just do their their own thing, you know. Like you've got a- a- XFL that, that's invested by the Rock Dwayne Johnson and and our friends at Redbird and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, you've got what um, the Reebon Brothers have done at Lacrosse League, which is a breakaway league. Uh, swimming, uh, you know, we, we had in our podcast, you know, um, the triathlon guys that are that are financed by Michael Morris of Sequoia. Um, the signs are all around that the opportunity is massive, you know, and, and you've got um, very, very staid old Swiss banker types that run uh, the IOC, that run FIFA, that run UEFA in Switzerland. And, and you know, you either look at that as a problem or you look at it as an opportunity. And the, the opportunities, Grant, are everywhere if you want to deal with them with EQ, with adaptability, and with an understanding of how finance thinks and how you need to treat sport and win hearts and minds with narrative. I think, as I said at the very start of this, this is such an exciting chaos. It's got all the elements, everything that's going on. You know, if you even think about something like IMG, which is now a merger of IMG, William Morrison, and Endeavour, it's run by Ari Emanuel, which is the... The character that on which uh, Ari Gold of Entourage is, is based, uh, Ari Emanuel exists. He he is pretty similar to Ari Gold, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know if you look at that organization, that that shows you Grant really all the elements there. Let's let's look at that for a second. They tried to get an IPO away um what two years ago, one year ago, just before COVID they have been traditionally the bellwether of the sports industry um a kind of like conglomerate of everything from production to rights brokerage to uh, some events to player representation classic classic bellwether organization for the sports industry they themselves realized that you know being an intermediary in a world that is getting disintermediated is not a smart play and and they bought ufc they bought uh, ufc uh, with the help of, and here's where it all gets very incestuous. With the help of Caldoun, which is um, basically the CEO of uh, Abu Dhabi and uh, the chairman of Man City, M- Madabola, a private equity company, they, he and Ariane Ar- Ar- Manuel became good friends. Uh, they invested in UFC, and UFC is probably the, the core of the the business of, of IMG now. When you think about Fight Island during COVID, those were the ones that got it got it away best. And and they're coming back to the market to do the IPO. I think they'll get it away this time. And it's not just because they put Elon Musk on the board. Uh, I know. I know. I'll let you rant on that one on a little bit. And I agree with you. But but the the, the point is. They are uh, completely involved in, you know, as I say, sovereign wealth money with, with Abu Dhabi that's linked to uh, Rain Capital, which is probably the premier um, sports investment bank, which is in, in some ways not too far away from Silver Lake, which is a big investor in the city group, Manchester City. And then, you know, you've got Qatar and everything they are doing with the ownership of of PSG, uh, with BN Sports, which is the biggest um, transnational broadcaster in, in the region. And, you know, when you think of also, you know, some of the things that were reported about where Putin stood in all of this last week because Gazprom is a sponsor of the Champions League. And he said to Abramovich, allegedly... This isn't the time, mate. And Abramovich withdrew his support. So what you've got here is an amalgamation of big, big money. I mean, geopolitical money. You've got influencer culture where you've got people like Elon Musk and Mark Cuban. That touches on things like, you know, the blockchain, crypto, NFTs. When you think of it, Grant, this has got everything. It's got absolutely everything.
0: It does, but the, the, the thing that I find actually fascinating is when you when you look at the motivations of the big sovereign wealth money, and you look at the motivations of the American private equity money, they're not necessarily aligned. Completely you know, the, opposite,
1: the, actually. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, the, the the sovereign wealth guys are very happy to run these things at a loss, I'm sure, to, as you say, right, to, to try and capture hearts and minds. Um, Particularly to some of the, you know, some of the Middle Eastern guys who are really looking for broader acceptance. Uh, you know, the Saudis probably chief amongst those. The, the Qataris and the and the UAE guys have, have
1: sports washing is the word you're searching for. Sports washing, for. yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> uh, right, and 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 obviously the American private equity money has one thing and one thing only on its on its plate. So it's interesting to see those as bedfellows in this, both pushing ultimately for the same outcome. But with wildly different motivations. That's
1: why it's so so fascinating. You you hit the nail on the head there. How how can you how can you um, reconcile somebody like we've talked about, um, geopolitical people, and it's not just sports washing. I think that's relatively lazy. You know they're diversifying their economy. All of these you know gas and and, and petrol economies are, are are looking at you know the future. Uh, STEM. They're looking at you know diversifying away from the carbon businesses, and then, then let's not forget and, uh, that you know what they've done in sport and in football in particular. It started to bring peace to the region. You know may, maybe some people believe it's not true, but you know uh, um, Jews and Arabs are speaking to each other again. You know um, the relationships that have been dead for twenty years, even longer, are back, and there's flights between various countries. Sport is in right in the middle of all of that. And then on the other side, you've got guys with spreadsheets that are are are, are playing around with leverage, uh, and you know they're t- they're doing the things that you do when you're looking at a PE thing, and you think, how the hell is this going to play out? And you know, last week we saw what happens when you don't think that uh, through clearly.
0: Well, well, let's. I want to shift a little bit, Rog, to to the subject of data, because again, this is something that has been a theme throughout the sporting world for some time, and you you mentioned Billy Bean there, which is where it kind of started in the public conscience with with Michael Lewis's amazing book, Moneyball. But let's talk about the importance of data in sport, um, both from a sporting point of view and from a fan data point of view, because this is, again, something that you've been talking about with me for years now, and I I know you invest um, in in this space uh, regularly, so let's talk about the journey of data, why it's so important, the kind of data um, that's being collected and where the opportunities are in those space, because they, they seem almost boundless to me.
1: It's a great question, uh, so much so that we need to break it down a little bit. You know, when you move from a B2B model that sport has been to a B2C model, the main thing you need to know is is know your client. Uh, First-party data, that whole idea that, uh, as I said earlier, your business uh, will value will get valued on you know how deeply you know your users how engaged they are and and how how they are valued tiktok i gave an example earlier there's something of, you know if you even look at clubhouse valuation now it's it's they're very very high so there is a whole play to understand better uh, your fan base. Sport has done that really, really badly. It's been very lazy. It's taken the fans for granted and it doesn't know enough about them. Every person we've had on our podcast grant at the highest level has said sport doesn't know its audience. Uh, So there is a whole world there to. Invest in in things like that, and you know, and and you know, if you think about a company like Palantir, you know that has got a multi-billion valuation now because it's it's got right into that space. Uh, you know, we we've got companies like PumpJack, the 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 sponsor of our show. That you know, I, I I see them as the palantir of sport, and so so there's that whole little world there of you know first party data, uh, dwell time, engagement, and 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 making value there. That it's clear. It's clear to see how people value those things. Uh, secondly, you've got the data that um, uh, is around the game. Uh, and the fixtures of the game and the events of the game. That's an industry that started um, uh, probably about 20 years ago. And we were right in the middle of that in the UK when we started a company called Dataco, which was about uh, um, packaging up the, 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 the that data from the British football leagues. Um, Dataco spawned uh, the kind of industries that came out of Opta, which is now part of Perform, which has now been bought by Stats. <laughs> um, Spawned industries like Sport Radar, which has now got a, a very high valuation through a SPAC, uh, and they've bought a competitor almost right off the bat called Synergy. You've got Genius, uh, that again through a SPAC has 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 listed. The, the the why are these companies so valuable? Well, first of all, it's very obvious. If I said earlier that you're in the world of gamification, of fantasy, and ultimately gambling, that is the petrol, and if you've got that, you can sell it to to those people and for 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 huge margins, and and that's what they do. And and then then you you, you look at you know stats buys one of these big companies perform stats is mainly in player uh, data match analysis video analysis uh, and that gets you into the whole world of marginal gains on the field you know uh, I, i'm involved in a company um, zone 7 which is based in america but comes out of um israeli tech uh where you know using uh, deep learning serious deep learning Uh, you can make a very, very good stab at predicting uh, sporting injuries, which is one of the biggest cost lines of the whole industry when you think about it. And how does that work really is that you look at the past, you take enormous data from the past around injuries, and you look for uh, breadcrumbs of correlations and connections that allow you to adjust your risk profile of anybody getting injured. So that can be applied to recruiting players you know I see a time in the future where the guys going around draft day are are going to have laptops uh, on the, uh, with them that will analyze, well, I didn't get my pick because they got them. So if I take this guy, how's that going to reflect my whole roster? Because the AI will be able to do that almost uh, in a second. That's going to massively affect the recruiting world. And, and And then, you know, when you're in game, same thing with tactics, same thing with substitutions. And this isn't just common to sport, but I'm a big believer that machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it, but I mean proper one, not the one that people use as a buzzword now, is devastating. It it really is devastating. The future can, it's not predicted because you can't predict the future, but you can massively adjust your risk analysis of the future, and once you can effectively price risk, you can run your business different. And all of that is being trialed and tested and showcased in the industry of sport.
0: You're in the middle of all this as a as an investor, as an advisor. Where are the deals you're seeing mostly coming from? Are they all around data? Is Is that where... Everyone's trying to—is that the part everyone's trying to crack, or are there other aspects of this that? that well, oh no! You, you, if you
1: if you look if you look at the various themes for investment into sport, well, like, we've talked about the PE guys. Private equity is different. We've talked about that. You're looking at established businesses and leveraging them up and getting yeah. the efficiencies. That's different. That's different. If you're looking at venture, then you know, I would say it breaks down into a couple of things. We had courtside on, you know, probably the premier um, VC in sport. Uh, c- coming out again of the States. They talk about looking for the next community business. And and that could be various things. That could be around, you know, home fitness. It could be around something like, you know, Peloton. It can be around, you know, new leagues like Recro- Recro- Recross. They they invest in the, the drone racing league. So there's the whole community play. That Like I said, th- those are really businesses around value per user. Uh, and if you know your client well enough, you can aspire to the valuation I said before. You've got, as you say, sports data in the sense of the value of data linked to betting and fantasy and gamification. Uh, There's AI. Then there's a the whole world of, of fan engagement, which once you get into fan engagement, that takes you into content plays. There's some companies that are you know, s- um, subscription models, long form, like the Athletic, and uh, that people believe in long form and they can make a business around uh, subscriptions. That in the same way that a Dizon does it for, for video. There are people that that do more fan engagement around user-generated content, super influencers. Um, another company I'm invested in, Entourage, does that. That we believe that dwell time goes through the roof when you have fans talking to fans. Fans like to hear other fans talk their language. You know that has been uh, exacerbated to the nth degree by somebody like Barstool that you know I've always loved, yeah. even though even though their 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 style is perhaps a little bit difficult to swallow for certain people but it works in spades in terms of engagement and guess what they're bought by a betting company Penn and you can see all the synergies you know get the eyeballs get the community uh, engagement dwell time know them really really well monetize them through NFTs through gaming through uh, gambling fantasy there's so many opportunities the real challenge like in anything in VC, is to find a process of filtering that allows you to, to, to get to a position that you want to invest in relatively quickly. Find ways to say no quickly and know exactly what you're looking for.
0: So, so much, what has the pandemic done to sport? Because you would think, going into it, when we looked at the pandemic, we looked at leagues right across the world shutting down. The initial take on it was, this is a disaster for sport. Right and, and look, it has been, for, for many of the smaller clubs, it has been a disaster as But it seems as though the flip side of that is it's actually become a huge opportunity for whether it be private equity or just investment in, in general. The pandemic seems to have opened Pandora's box. Well,
1: let's just consider COVID like Franz Ferdinand. All the ba- the element- band or the Archduke? <laughs> the Archduke. Okay, just check. Uh, all the elements were in place. In, in 1913 and 1914, they were all in place. You know, all of us, certainly this side of Pond, have done, you know, theses on, you know, the causes of the First World War. Uh, so we know they were all in place, but the spark was Franz Ferdinand. All of the elements that we've talked about in the last hour for sport were in place. It's bust, it needs to adjust for a younger audience. Uh, it needs to polarise in, uh, into Hollywood, an, an art house, et cetera, et cetera. All the things we've said were in place. COVID was just the accelerator. And, you know, now now everybody's having to react to that in different ways. The, the other thing it did, obviously, it put a massive hole in balance sheets, which means that money is needed, capital is needed. And <laughs> as, you, as we've said... Capital wants to invest. Sport needs capital. Fans this side of the world say, but what about us? We actually own the sport. And, you know, don't think so. Or do you? So, you know, that's why I, I, I just think it's a wonderful time to be in this industry. If you can approach it with an open mind where you try and keep sanity and wisdom where everybody else is bouncing off the walls, you can make an awful lot of money, Grant.
0: Yeah, but, you, but you, I think you, you touched on the, the biggest impediment to that there, and it, it is the irrationality of the fans. Uh, but but look, we saw the Super League get shot down <laughs> within 24 hours, largely, well, let's face it, wholly because of the fan reaction to it. Um, fan and fan...
1: media reaction. Media reaction don't underestimate Yeah, no, that, Yeah, that's true, well. that's
0: true. Um, what
1: do they call them, fans with typewriters? Never yeah. a truer word.
0: Right, no, it, 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 it is true, but... Uh, 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 let me put you on the spot. Let, let's have your prediction for how long it is until we have a Super League proposal that ultimately goes in. Because I, I have to say, you've, you've, you've swayed me over the last couple of years that this is inevitable. Uh, I, I don't see any way to stop it now. But, but how long does it take and, and what does it look like ultimately that, that does get through?
1: Well, remember, don't confuse a direction of travel with a project that was handled badly that's not going to change the direction of travel. Yeah. The direction of travel is everything we've talked about. There is a product market fit for Hollywood clubs playing against each other. You know, uh, a young kid, you know, uh, zapping past, you know, the schedule of a football, uh, soccer, soccer uh, weekend, ain't going to stop for Crystal Palace versus Fulham. Don't we say it. Started.
0: Oh, I knew you were going to say it. You just, you'd been so good at not bringing Fulham up, Roger, and you had to do it, didn't you?
1: Well we're at the end of it nearly so 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 yeah I, I wasn't going to let you always scot free. So a small team like Fulham relatively insignificant probably going to be one of the players in the future and You know and, I get to edit
0: this right? Just do me a favor, just do me a favor. Just say the word Celtic for me. Would just so I've got a clean version of Celtic.
1: Celtic. There we go. Lovely. So um, where where were we? Yeah. So is listen um Let's think about control because ultimately I think the end game is the same. You're going to get a competition that is principally the big clubs playing against each other with very little volatility and chance that they don't... um, they they, they get relegated or something like that, the the changes of UEFA to the Champions League were probably already going in that direction with a Frankenstein's model of trying to be half-pregnant. And half-pregnant, as everybody knows, never works. Make your mind up, go one way or the other. So I would would grasp the netto and I would do it with control, both real and in terms of uh, optics, Done within the football family. So I think what you will get is you will get the Silver Lakes of this world, the IMGs of this world, uh, the Reigns of this world going to FIFA because we never really mentioned this, but there's a huge political battle between FIFA and UEFA. Yeah. Um, going to FIFA. Um, They nearly got this away a couple of years ago, Uh, going to FIFA with a pitch, look, you know, you don't like the Europeans at UEFA, we'll do this directly with you, with you we've got the brand that we're still part of the football family and football governance, get some money from the the Sovereign guys, get some money from Silver Lake and and whatever and SoftBank even and and we'll put together this project, Uh, it will be part of the official football calendar and we will sell it to the fans uh, the way that we've sold the changes to the Champions League for the last 30 years to the fans, and they won't notice because they haven't noticed over the last 30 years. (laughs) Avoid the words breakaway. Avoid the words American capitalism. Avoid the words fans don't matter. And we will sell this because they will always buy it. Fans, the great thing about fans is they leave the stadium angry and one week later, they're there trotting up to the game another time with their scarves in their hands, buying their, their hot dogs and beer. They don't have long memories.
0: Yeah, well, some of us do, but uh, those memories are clouded with fear and disappointment, Rush. But that's 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 the... the, the You're in yolk, that
1: demographic the I told you about. Carry. Yeah, and
0: yeah. I, I, I just well, look, mate. Uh, uh, look, I'm I'm fortunate. I get to talk about the stuff with you every week. But um, but to to a lot of the people listening to this, uh, this will all be brand new stuff. So so before we close, just let people know how they can find out about more about what you do because this is this is a fascinating space, and you're right in the middle of it. And there'll be plenty of people that that listen to this and, and are interested in finding out how to get more involved in it and look for some more of the opportunities.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I, I run what I would call a little small sports accelerator called Alba Chiara, where we invest in sport tech. We advise rights holders. We're active in the space. You can find me there, alba You You're going to um, have to
0: spell that because there there, are, there it, aren't that many Scottish Italians out there.
1: Yeah, There's more than you, uh, you would think, but yeah, take the point. A-L-B-A-C-H-I-A-R-A.net so that's that's my company where you can see what we've invested in and why and and everything we do around helping people you know we do a lot of work on content marketing brand strategy comms all that kind of stuff you can you can find me personally at rpm como as in the lake como as in the lake lake. that's my that's my twitter handle The the show that you're referring to is called Are You Not Entertained? And that Twitter handle is Entertained R, as in the word. But one of the things I would say, practically, if you are interested, uh, the community of Are You Not Entertained, uh, the audience of it is Pretty much the C-suite of the sports industry, uh, I would say both in the UK and America and principally in the UK and Europe, obviously. That audience is very engaged. We talked a lot about engagement. It's, it's a community business. And one of the things that community business is going to do now is going to maybe create a breakfast club, an investor club, to look at some of the things that I see, that Albuquerque sees to see if we want to invest together so if you're interested in getting into investing in sport as an alternative non-correlated asset and, and come some of the opportunities we've talked about then reach out to me and uh, worst case scenario you just hang out with a, a lot of people that, that think the same way as we've discussed in the last hour
0: fantastic roger uh you and i will speak again shortly but uh hopefully for now, yep. yeah yeah always now, a pleasure Thanks, thanks for doing this. I've I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that would have done too.
1: My pleasure, Grant. And as I say, thank you for letting me into your house. Uh, hopefully I've treated it with respect.
0: Well, you, you, listen, you gave Fulham a bit of a shooing, but that's that's fair enough. I can <laughs> let that slide. All right, mate, take care.
1: Take care, matey. Bye.
0: As I said at the outset, Roger's knowledge of the world of sport is both broad and deep. His understanding of the status quo, but, but more importantly, his recognition Of where sport needs to go has been wholly instrumental in shaping not only my own understanding uh, but that of the are you not entertained audience Now, at the risk of a semi-shameless plug you can find the are you not entertained podcast in all good podcast apps just seek us out there and if you want to get in touch with roger and find out more about what he does and how he invests in this ever-changing and endlessly fascinating world of sport tech Drop him a line at roger at albachiara.net. That's spelled A-L-B-A-C-H-I-A-R-A. Uh, and also follow him on Twitter. He's uh, he's great on Twitter. There's a lot of insightful commentary there um, and plenty of humor. You'll find him at RPM Como, as in the lake. That's it from me. I'll see you again next time.
1: There is a product market fit for Hollywood clubs playing against each other. You know, uh, a young kid, you know, uh, zapping past, um, you know, the schedule of a football, uh, soccer soccer, uh, weekend, ain't going to stop for Crystal Palace versus Celtic. There you go, (laughs) lovely.